want to welcome everyone to the services this morning. We appreciate your presence. If you're visiting with us, you consider yourself to be a visitor, certainly want to welcome you. Thank you for being here, blessing us with your presence. Hopefully you'll find that the things we say today, the things that we do, the service that you participate in will be uplifting to you, will be beneficial to you, and most likely, and most importantly, will be according to the Word of God. Last couple of years have been unbelievable. And apparently that's continuing. The difficulties and the the things that we have endured in the last two years have been certainly as bad as anything I've ever I've ever encountered. I know some have gone through world wars and and different things. But now we have something similar to that starting. We have death and destruction and misery and pain on a scale that many of us have not seen. We have tyrants torturing people, expanding, just trying to expand their influence. That's a challenge for Christians, isn't it? It's a challenge for Christians today. The last verse that John read, we're going to get into this chapter a little bit, but the last verse tells us, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Boy, that's hard sometimes, isn't it? That's very, very difficult. Be glad, rejoice, and shout for joy. How is it possible to rejoice in the midst of suffering, in the midst of tragedy? When things are not going well, it's, it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to become negative. But God's people should be glad. God's people should rejoice and shout for joy. And Monty, right now, this is just not going to happen, okay? Maybe later. Maybe later. So what's the source? What? I think we all know where I'm headed at this. So what do we want? Talked to uh, last time about how do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered? We're going to be remembered. How do we want that? that? We want... We want to be remembered because we want to matter. We want God to be mindful of us. We want to matter. We want to have purpose. We want to be loved, and we want to love, and we want a number of things, but there's one thing God put in us when he created us above all else. He put in us a desire to live. Now, there are times when... when we will probably at some point lose that or at least lessen the desire. Paul himself was in, was, in a, was in a dilemma trying to decide if he wanted to, to go on or if he wanted to stay here, but he knew it was beneficial for him to stay and, and continue the work that he was doing. But he was torn. He was ready. Fought a good fight. Finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. He was ready, but even then, he wasn't ready for it to end, was he? He knew there was something greater. God has put in us a desire to live. The wisest man who ever lived in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11 tells us, earlier in this chapter, we have the seasons. 
polar opposites, a time to live, a time to die, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace, all these things. And he gets down to verse 11. He said, he has made everything in its time. Also, God has put eternity in their hearts. God put that in us, that innate desire to continue to live. And if we have to die, then we want something else. We hope that there's something else out there. We want this to be the beginning, not the end. That's our source of joy, isn't it? That can be our source of joy. If we have something positive to look forward to, no matter what goes on in this life, no matter how terrible it gets, no matter how bitter or angry we want to become because of everything we see around us, we want to live. We want to live. So today I want to talk about the source of that happiness, the, the source that allows us to rejoice, the, the source that allows us to, in spite of everything else, allows us to keep our eye on the prize. And that's the greatest promise that was ever made. John, the sixth chapter, Jesus talking to his disciples. John 6 and verse 39, the Bible says, This is the will of the Father who has sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will, a double affirmation. He says this twice, so we don't lose it. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. In spite of everything else, in spite of pain and suffering and tragedy, a mother on TV asking for people to come save her, asking for nations to come help a tyrant, going to wipe them off the map. In spite of these things, we hope our brothers and sisters overseas can remember the greatest promise that was ever given. I will raise you up, God said. This is not the end. This is not the end. This is the beginning. But there are some conditions, and it's not everyone, is it? It's not everyone. His promise is specific. Christ says, for for those God has given him, all he has given me, of those people I will lose nothing, but should raise it up, raise up that group of people. Verse 41 Everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So it's promise applies to everyone. Promise applies to everyone. We, we know the scripture, Acts 2 and 39, for the promises unto you, to your children, to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Promise is extended to everyone, but there are terms. We have to receive that promise. Even the most familiar promise, passage of scripture in the entire Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life to be resurrected. Back to John 6, his promise is specific for all those God gave him. So it's applied conditionally, this double affirmation, he says it twice, a double promise, make sure we don't miss it. But it's specific. It's conditional. All are God. The psalmist said, the earth and all the fullness thereof are yours. We all are gods. We're made by God. But there are some who God gives to Christ. Who are they? 
Verse 40 tells us those who, everyone who sees the sun. Well, we can't see the sun today, can we? Not everyone on earth saw the sun back then. But the word sees, if you want to do a word study, we're not going to do that. But it means to acknowledge. It means to believe in. See the sun, not just a casual glance, but to acknowledge him, to believe in him. And Paul, Christ here helps to define who those people are who God's given him. The greatest promise ever given had a terrible, terrible cost. Had a terrible, terrible cost. It wasn't free. It's freely given to you and I, but God paid the price for us. And Jesus specifies who he's talking about, who God gives to him. John 17th chapter. We have the prayer that Jesus gave in the Garden of Gethsemane the night he was betrayed. An amazing, moving prayer where he's in agony. He knows what's in store. He knows, he's about, knows that he's about to be betrayed. He knows that he's going to suffer unspeakable pain, suffering, and spill his life's blood so that we would have the opportunity to receive this promise of God. And he's praying. John 17 and verse 1, the Bible says, Jesus spoke these words lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Certain people were given by God to Jesus. And he will raise them up at that last day. And they will enjoy eternal life. And that eternal life is nearness to God. That, you may, that they may know God, verse 3. The only true God and Jesus Christ, his son, whom he sent. That is life in its fullest. That is life in its greatest. That is the promise that we're given from God. That's what we glory in no matter what the difficulty that's what we can always take comfort in that fact, no matter how bad things get. We can take comfort in that. He continues on, verse 4. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself. With the glory which I had with you before the world was, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. All the world is God's. Not all are Christ's, just the ones that God gives to Christ. I have manifested your name to the men who you have given me out of the world. They are yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. A condition there, wasn't it? Obedience, they have kept your word. Verse 7, now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. Verse 8, for I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So who are these people who God gave to Christ? Who are those that that Christ will raise up that last day. 
We read in John 6, everyone who sees him, acknowledges him, believes in him. We say those who receive his words in verse 8. Verse 6 said they have kept your words, the obedience. So there's a number of conditions he's talking about here. We'll skip a few verses and go on down to verse 20 and read some more. Jesus continuing his prayer. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He wasn't praying just for the disciples, just for his apostles, but for those who will believe on him through the words of those apostles. Another condition, another qualifier, that they all may be one. That's what we're a part of, isn't it? That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. How often in scriptures do, do we read the Apostle Paul referring to in Christ? in him, in one body, that they all may be one. Verse 21, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us and and that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. That oneness in Christ, in the body of Christ, continuing on. Verse 23. I and them and you and me that they may be made perfect in one. That body is perfect together in the body of Christ. That they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and I have loved them. Another condition, as you have loved me. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am. Where was he going? Right hand of God in heaven. He wants us there with him. That's the greatest promise that ever give. That's what sustains us through these difficulties. I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. So easy to get pulled down in the negativity. It's so easy to get depressed. It's so easy to get sad. It's so easy to get bitter. It's so easy to get angry. We see all of the injustice in the world today. And that can get our attention and take it off of the things that do give us joy. The source of all joy and happiness. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world has not known you. But I have known you and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it. That the love which you love me with which you love me, may be in them and I in them. Oneness, rejoicing in love, knowing that God will give us to Christ if we meet these certain conditions. What have we seen so far? John 6 and 40 tells us everyone who sees the Son and believes in him. Condition, what? Those are the ones that God gave to Christ. Also those that receive his words, verse 8 there in John 17. Those that receive his words, those that kept his words, obedience in verse 6. Verse 20 talks about those who believed in Christ through the words of the apostles. Another precondition. These are the ones that God gives to Christ so that Christ can raise them up on the last day. That's the source of our joy. That's the source of our, of our rejoicing in the face of diversity, in the face of tragedy. 
that we may all be one in God, in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, verse 21 through 23, that we may all be one and those that have the love of God in them. Those that have the love of God in them. Boy, it's so easy to not think on these things because everything else we see around us is not good news. Everything we've been bombarded with the last couple of years in particular has been one tragedy right after another, one difficulty right after another. So how do we have Christ in us? I think we all know where I'm headed there. How, do we, how are we in Christ? How are we in God? How is Christ in us so that God can give us to Christ? Galatians 3, 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For or because as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus have Christ in us, one in Jesus, in God, through baptism. States unequivocally. Okay, how about, how do we have the love of God in us? John 13, Jesus said, talking to his disciples, he said, a new commandment I give you. A new commandment. You know, there was no such thing as agape before Christ. There was love. There was brotherly love. There was an a affection for one, one for another. But this is a new commandment he's giving, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, and then he defines it, that agape love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. When we get caught up in the difficulties surrounding us, when we get caught up in all of the tragedy that surrounds us, it's hard to love one another. It's hard to worry about anything, but how do we avoid spreading COVID How do we avoid getting COVID? How do we avoid all the things? How do we avoid the tragedies and the things that we've been through the last couple of years? And those things don't seem to be getting any better. They just change to something else. Maybe it's an invasion from another country. Maybe it's this or that. But there's always something to draw our attention away. There's always something to keep us from focusing on the wonderful promises of God. The greatest promise ever given states that nothing will prevent Christ from raising to life all those who acknowledge, believe, and lovingly come to him in obedience to the apostles' teaching. That's what we've read so far, isn't it? We've also read that we must accept the promise on the terms that God has set forth. It's a conditional promise. It's given to everyone, but we must accept that and accept the terms of that promise We must decide if we want to be part of the rejoicing. Hmm. We can choose not to. We can choose not to. And after we're there, we can choose to leave. Be glad, rejoice, and shout for joy. Sometimes it's a little easier than than it is other times. No doubt. But no matter what, we can always use that as that anchor. Use that as our source of joy when there is no other. When we lose all other sources of joy, we can use that to to center us, to bring us back, to remind us of how blessed we are. Peter put it this way, 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us, that's bring us to life, Give us life again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
See, he did it once. No problem for him to do it again. Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Certainly we can relate. Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see, I'm yet believing. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It gets difficult at times, so difficult, overwhelming at times. Sometimes you actually feel like you're suffocating. But this, the greatest promise ever given, the source of our joy, we can, we can stay centered with that. We can stay focused on that. Try to bring our minds back from the tragedy and the difficulty and the things we endure to the greatest promise that was ever given. Hebrews, we have examples here of the exemplary Examples of faith and the things that they accomplished for the cause of God and in his kingdom. It talks about all those people. Then verse 35, the writer says, Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. The promise wasn't extended to them, was it? They still saw it. They still understood. God having provided some better thing for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. God perfected all of us in the giving of his son. The blood of Christ flowed backward and forward. Go back to the, to the reading. Appreciate John reading that. You'd think with my big ears that this wouldn't be a problem to stay on, but apparently it is. Psalm 32, let's look at this again. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And this word is not blessed, it can be pronounced either way, but it's not, it's not defined as something godly. It's not defined as blessed, what we think of blessed. It's blessed. The word means happy. Blessed is he whose transgression, and like I say, it could be pronounced either way, but happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. But notice the difficulty that David defines the contrast between being able to rejoice with God and those who are apart from God. He tells us, verse 3, when I kept silent... My bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity have I not hidden. 
I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave me the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you. Hear God telling him, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. When those trials of earth come, there's no place to go apart from God. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. You righteous and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Happy is he whose transgression is forgiven. Happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. That's the source of our happiness. That's how we can manage to be glad in the Lord. That's how we can manage to rejoice by trying to be righteous, by striving for that in Christ, shouting for joy with an upright heart. The difficulty that we're that we see all around us, that we have seen throughout our lifetime, but especially in the last couple of years. Don't take our eye off the prize. Don't get drawn in. This congregation is still alive. It's still here because many of us came through those doors and felt alive, felt loved, felt, felt the gladness, the happiness, and the love that we had one for another. When we start losing sight of that, We're only one generation away from being an artifact. You've heard me say that before. But we have an opportunity to remind ourselves and to remind each other that no matter what this life does to us and brings upon us, we are beneficiaries of the greatest promise that was ever given. When God said, I will raise you up, we've been given to Christ. The lesson is yours. I ask you to pick up a songbook. We're going to extend an invitation to anyone who does not know the joy of being a child of God. We have clothes here. We have waters ready. If you would obey your Lord in baptism this morning, we would love to assist you with that. Or if you're a child of God and you just need the prayers of the church for any reason, for strength, for encouragement, if there's any way we can serve you, we would ask that you come forward and sit on the front row as we stand and sing the song together.